Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Waterfowl. Hello and welcome to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast. My name is Elliot and today we are going to be talking about my second hunt weekend, two hunts, Saturday and Sunday. We're going to be hitting a comment of the week and we're going to bring Woody on here for another Woody's Top 5. Every other Thursday, Woody comes and joins us for a Top 5. I know a lot of people are really enjoying that. I know I absolutely love it. So really excited to go over these hunt with you. This 2020, this 2023 24 waterfowl season is off to a really great start. I'm really, really excited about it. I'm excited to bring these hunts to you, relive them with you. If you want the full experience of reliving these hunts with me, listen to the podcast where I retell them and watch the video. The videos are great, but these um, oral renditions of the hunts are going to provide a lot more context and a lot more details. So I hope that you really, really like them. Before we get into that, I do want to talk about our partners. Supporting our partners is supporting what I'm doing here and supporting the North American Waterfowler podcast. So if you're looking for any of the equipment that I'm going to bring to you today, then please go to the partners. And with two of the three, we've got a promo code, <coughs> excuse me, for 10% off. So the first one is final approach. Final Approach's website is fabrand.com. If you have never gone there, go and take a look at what they've got. I've been using their products for a couple of years. On this most recent hunt, I was using the teal decoys. I was using um, some of their waiter pants. I was using their waiters. I was using some of their jackets. I was using the backpack, which I absolutely love. I just got the Waterfowler backpack because I saw Josh and Jordan wearing it last year. I was like, I need one of those. 
I love it. Their their gear is really, really high quality, and it's not as expensive as some of the other ones. So FABrand.com, the product code is FDH10 for 10% off. It really helps me when you go and support our partners. So I really, really appreciate it. Also, Onyx Maps, Onyx Hunt. If you don't use Onyx, you're just not getting the most out of waterfowling. I mean, I've been, I've hunted 15, 20 years without Onyx, and I've hunted five or so with Onyx. And I'm telling you, there is a massive difference between hunting with Onyx and not. And to, on today's story, as I kind of retell what happened on the hunt, I am going to tell you how I used Onyx to make my life so much easier. So if you haven't if you haven't downloaded that, do that. And if you're looking for duck calls, Duck Lander Calls, Bobby Hayes' organization, he pours his heart into those calls, and they are really, really just fantastic products. So if you're looking for a duck call this year, go to Duck Lander Calls, and the product code there is NAW23, and that is 10% off those calls as well. So let's go ahead and jump right into this hunt. This was the Kansas Teal Opener opened up on Saturday. And so we hunted Saturday and Sunday <clears throat> on the Saturday hunt was myself, my friend Aiden, who we call golden boy and my dad, Carl, who we call fumble mitts. And so my dad and I drove down there and we were staying at Aiden's and he is a habitat specialist in that area. And so he ha had the ability to fully scout. He knew where all the birds were. He knew where the best places were. He'd been scouting it. And so we knew we were in a really good position. There was a lot of teal in the area. So we felt like that, you know, we were probably going to have a good hunt no matter what, no matter what spot we got. But this year, you know, we are still in a drought. It's not as bad as it was last year, but we're still in a drought in this state. So when you have a drought, openers get a lot more difficult <clears throat> because you just have the same number of people crammed into a smaller spot. So we had a Aiden had picked out kind of an A and a B and he did have a C and a D spot, but the A and the B were his favorites by far from what he had been seeing. And so as we got down there into his house, we were talking about what the plan was and we decided that I was going to go out early. Um, Aiden was thinking maybe we'd wake up at one thirty and be out there by two thirty. And I said, look, why don't I just go ahead and go out there? Um, I'll take the boat. We're putting the boat off in a little channel, boating up the channel a ways, parking the boat and then kicking over the bank into this little pool. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to get a lot better sleep. If I just get out there and sleep in the boat, I took a cot and a sleeping bag and I'm just going to get better sleep and I'll hold it down. And then later my dad could bring Aiden. <clears throat> I mean, Aiden could bring my dad in his boat and they could sleep in a little bit more so they would get better sleep. I would be more rested. I get, I'm kind of neurotic about it because even if I feel like I'm going to get the spot, I'm just anxious and, and I'm not restful until I'm actually in, in the spot itself. So I'm like, I'm just going to go. I left like at 10 from Aiden's house and I'm, I'm just going to go out there. I will trust me. If I hold, get our spot down or one of our spots, a B or C, I'm going to feel so much better. And I'll probably be able to sleep out there and, and, and it'll be fine. So that's what I decided to do. So I hopped in the truck, just me and little G, my black lab from Flatlander Kennels. And we headed out there and had some interesting things happen right off the bat. So I got to the parking lot and there was a group there, four guys, and they had a boat. They were from Louisiana. 
And so I stopped and talked to him. You know, I wasn't any kind of big rush at that point. So I'm like, you know, I'm early. I'm good. It's not like it was crawling with people, but there was three or four vehicles in the parking lot. There was actually more lights in the marsh as I was driving up there than I expected there to be. I saw probably about three or four groups in the marsh. And so I went up and they were there at the boat and they were just sitting there. So I'm like, thinking, what are they doing? So I walked up and was like, hey, you know, talk to him. How you doing? Where you guys from? From Louisiana. It's kind of busting their balls a little bit about being from the South. And, and I was like, I thought the teal hunting is good down Louisiana. What are you guys doing up here? If, it, if, if Louisiana, I'll say this about the South. If the South is so damn good, why do all of the South guys come up to hunt all the time? It's like, if teal hunting is so amazing in Louisiana, what are you doing up here? Why, why are you up here? hunting if it's so good down there so anyway i just get my hard time and i was like so what are you guys doing he's like yeah we're just waiting till midnight like like, why, why are you waiting till midnight and he's like well you're not allowed to put your boat on until midnight i'm like well that's not true because i mean i've lived in the state my whole life i know that's not true and they're like really like well man the game warden told us told us that i'm like thinking that is so weird why would the game warden tell him that so i texted aiden aiden works for the state He's a habitat specialist. I texted Aiden. I'm like, Man, is that, is that, that's not true, is it? And Aiden called me. He's like, no, that's absolutely not true. In fact, I was talking to my boss about it today and my boss's boss, they're both for the state and they're like, no, they're talking about implementing this rule, but it's absolutely not a regulation. There's no, you can't go in until 12 o'clock thing, but that's what this guy was telling us. So I'm like, Hey, you know, that's, if you guys want to go in, go ahead and go in. Cause that's it, the information you got is not accurate. And they said that the game warden had three years in a row because they had come up three years in a row. And they said the game warden had told him that same thing every single year, which is really confusing to me. I don't know why a game warden would be saying that because it's, it's just factually false. So I'm like, all right, you know, see you guys later. I met another guy at the um, in a kayak, talked to him for a while. He actually commented on the video. Seemed like a really nice guy. Um, and he was sitting there too. I don't know if he thought the same thing about 12 o'clock cause he was just sitting there. So I put my boat on, I went, so, um, I went up the channel, I went towards our a spot and there was lights right smack in our a spot. Our a spot was off to the right of the canal and the B spot was actually exactly in the same spot, except off to the left of the canal. So I pulled up, um, the guys in the a spot had, had walked in there. There was no boat there. And so I parked and I'm trying to be nice. I'm like, how you guys doing? And this guy was like pretty aggressive. He's like, you're not supposed to unload until midnight. I'm like, that's not true. Sorry. I was, we were probably like 60 yards, but I'm like, that's not true. He's like, yeah, it is true. And I'm like, nope, it's not. I was like, I actually, um, you know, my buddy worked for the state and I know for a fact that's not true. And he was, he was being fairly aggressive about it. But now I'm like, what in the hell? This is like, I've never heard this rule ever before. And I've been told this by two separate people and hundred percent. This is not, this rule is not true. So I'm like, whatever. Um, so I'm like, Hey, if, if you want me to text him, I was like, I know personally, I am personal friends with the manager of this place. I'd be happy to text him right now and double check if you want. And he's like, no, and just then he kind of chilled out a little bit. Um, when I told him that I was personal friends with the manager of the area and but it was, it was just weird. It was weird to get that from two different people. So I was kind of second guessing myself a little bit, but I just talked to Aiden and he had talked to the manager himself that day, who was his boss. 
And they had said they were talking about the rule and how they're thinking about implementing the rule. And so I don't know where this misinformation got out to that it actually went to the ga a game warden that was telling people that. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, so I parked the boat and I had never seen this spot. Now I had hunted the spot before, but it had been a couple of years since I'd been into this little spot. It's like an ankle, ankle deep little prairie marsh is what it is. There's no trees anywhere. It's all like smart weed, um, some cattails. It's just your natural little prairie marsh. And so I put the boat there and I wanted to walk in and find the hole. I walked in, found the hole because it's just tons of vegetation, tons of smiley, tons of vegetation. I'm trying to find this in the dark and I had the pen that Aiden had sent me. And so I found the hole. I walked the, the circumference of, of the whole thing. And I, I was like, I was feeling really good when I got there. I was feeling happy. I'm like, well, I want to sleep in the boat, but it's like the boat was about a 60 yard from the boat to the hole was about a 60 yard walk. And it was through really thick vegetation. And that's when I realized like, Oh man, I forgot to pin where the boat is. Cause I walked all the way in. I walked probably 200 yards in to find the hole all the way around the hole. Like where might we want to set up, you know, all that stuff. And then I'm like, Oh, I need to go down to the boat. I wanted to unload all the gear and bring it in closer and just kind of stage the gear around the hole. But I'm like, oh, man, where where's the boat in the dark? You just don't. I mean, it's really hard to retrace your steps in the dark. And because you're cutting through such thick vegetation, you don't leave much of a trail. And I'd walk this big circle and everything. And so I had I had a real problems finding the boat again. And so I went back, searched around, found the boat. And that's where I placed a pin on the boat. And not only did I place the pin on the boat, I started the tracker. And this is all on X. I was talking to you guys earlier. I started the tracker. So I made a track from the boat to the edge of the water. And if I didn't have that function, like if I had been in here 10 years ago without that, finding the boat over and over again would have been a constant issue. I don't know if my senses in the dark or, or directional sense in the dark is worse than most people's, but I know that my directional sense during the day is good. But you get me in the dark, I just feel lost when it comes to retracing my steps. I just can't. It, it's just a real struggle for me. <coughs> so Onyx was invaluable in that, in that aspect of setting that pin, making that tracker. But it was that time that I realized it's like, there's no way that I can sleep in the boat. Cause I had Aiden's, like I said, Aiden's cot. I had a sleeping bag. Like there's no way that I can sleep in the boat because people can walk in from the other side. It's not an easy walk. If I had slept in the boat, there's no way I could have held down the hole. And I brought a flashlight to put on a pole of Aiden's and it just wasn't lighting anything up. It wasn't, I'd walk away from it, look back. I can't even see it. So I'm like, I'm going to have to sleep in ankle deep water. What, how am I, this is like, by now it's about 1130, 1115, 1130. And it's like, how, what am I going to do? Cause you know, I've got, I've got stools with me. And then I remembered I've got my dad's comfy chair which we have a we have a, a seat for a chair for my dad that we bought him for the boat lawn. And it doesn't lean back, but it's got like three legs on it and it's just really comfortable. It doesn't recline at all, but as far as sitting in, it's really, really comfortable. It's like, I, I'm just going to have to get that chair and I'm going to have to sit here in ankle deep water like the whole night. That's just what I'm going to have to do. So I got the chair. I got uh, Georgie's stand. And so I put the chair down. I put Georgie's stand down. I got Georgie on the stand and I just sat there and there was lights over to the left, a couple of different lights. So I was keeping my eye on the lights and I was 
keeping my, you know, where are the people at? Are they walking towards me or whatever? And it, I, it became pretty apparent. It's like, okay, there's a group of four people about 250 yards to my right. There's, I think the guy came up with the kayak that I met and he looked like he was a ways down the bank on the right. So I had those, those groups set and it seemed like everything was pretty, pretty, pretty well locked in. It's like if someone had walked in, there really wasn't a way that they could set up too close to us to ruin the whole deal. I mean, it was going to be really, really difficult for, for someone to get in and screw this up. So I'm just sitting there and turn on my, turn off my lights and you could hear there was still so many teal in the marsh. You could hear this little suckling and feeding thing. This mass group of teal was doing. They weren't really quacking a lot. It's just, it was like this little suckling. It's hard to even describe what it was like ch chattering feeding. Um, and, and it, it was obviously there was a lot, a lot of them. And as more and more people moved in the marsh, it was just Georgie and I sitting there in the dark under the scars. You, I would hear, I was hearing teal just right over my head. And they were actually, I bet you during the night, about 25 teal landed in the hole that I was around. I, some of them, nothing landed like at my feet or anything, but probably 25 to, to 60 yards. You'd hear the and you'd hear the little plop. And it was singles all night on and off coming and landing in this hole. And I'm just sitting there on this chair in the dark before the opener. It's just like stuff like that. Now, like I said, I, I don't want to have to go in that early on a consistent basis. I, I just don't, it's you lose so much sleep and, and you know, you're really messing with the environment and messing with the ducks to get that many people in the marsh, but you want to save your place. But I absolutely love being in a marsh. And I feel completely home being in a marsh. So sitting in there like that in the dark on that chair with my best buddy, Black Lab Georgie on her stand. And I'm trying to get her to calm down because she is like on attention. She's hearing the ducks whip over her head. She's hearing the little plops in the water. I think somehow she's seeing them because, I mean, she was like at attention, man. She was loving it. But I just love being in a marsh. I just love being in a marsh. And I was like, I was feeling pressured. Like I need to get some sleep. I need to get two or three hours of sleep because I've got to work on Monday. I want to hunt on Sunday. I've got a, a drive on Sunday to make back home. I just have got to get a few hours of sleep. And so I was actually able to like put my feet up on Georgie's dog stand where kind of on, on both sides of her and she kind of laid down and put her head and use my legs as a pillow and I was able to kind of like, if you imagine this is my butt kind of hanging out in between the chair and the dog stand. So, cause I like leaned as much as I could. Then I used like the arm as kind of my pillow. And I was actually able to get two or three hours of sleep doing that. But a lot of times I would like just get to sleep and a duck would land in the pool and you'd hear that and that little plop. And Georgie would like jump up. She never left the stand. She would like jump up on her stand and set it attention and it'd wake me up. And I, and I, I, uh, I had something that was funny. I don't know, paranoid and schizophrenic, but a little funny that happened two different times. So I don't know about you, but when I'm in the dark and I'm paranoid, someone's going to try to walk in and set up too close to me. It's like every single light I see initially, I think it's like, Oh, there's someone walking in. And they're like, no, that's like a farmhouse. <laughs> you know, that's like a, 
it's just like every light I'm so paranoid about that it's someone coming in and trying to walk in and set up too close to me. And there was this one bright light off to my left. And I had seen that light. And I knew it was there. It was just a fixed light. I don't know what it was, whether it was a farmhouse or something like that. It was a fixed light, but it was really bright. Twice, I woke up from a short sleep, looked over, saw that light. And in my mind, I saw a guy standing there with a headlight, like 40 yards from me, with like a um, spinner pole, just standing there looking at me. That was like what I thought it was like for the first five, five seconds to where literally I like stood up out of my chair. And I was like, like that. No, that's that's just that farmhouse light. I did it twice. Like in my mind, I saw the guy's silhouette. That's what it was when I came out of my sleep. I'm like, man, talk about paranoia. I there's some dials within me that I wish that I could turn down. And like paranoia about lights in the dark are one of them. And I was telling someone this story the other day. I don't remember who it was, but. Several times my dad and I have been walking in the dark through the woods to this one particular hole at this marsh. And as I'm walking, I see lights off in the distance and I hear splashing and I'm like, someone's going to be at this spot. Cause this spot, if you're walking to this and someone beats you, you're like done. You have to just walk back out. You, there's not like, Oh, I can go down the bank. It's like, it's this spot or nothing. And it's pretty hard to get back in here. So I'm a little paranoid when I go in that someone's going to come from a different direction and beat us in there. And so I, several times I would see what I thought were lights and I would get so paranoid that I would go into like an all out sprint to get to the spot. And by the time I got there, I was like, Oh my gosh, that's not anyone. It's just like a light off in the distance. You just completely paranoid. One time I dropped like my gun in my bag and just took off Holland and then really struggled to go back and find where I'd put it. I mean, it's just like, I know it's, it's complete paranoia. So I had done that twice. The th and then another time my dad and I were going to the same spot. I'm like, this time I'm going to be calm. I'm going to be chill. I am not going to do that same stupid thing where I get all paranoid about the light and run up there. So we're walking through the woods and there again, I see a light. I hear splashing and I'm like, nope, not, not going to do it this time. I'm not going to fall for it. I'm not going to let my mind trick me like that. I'm going to just walk in. I'm going to get there and it's not going to be anyone. And so I controlled myself. I felt all good about it. I got up there and it was someone that walked in from the other way and they got to the spot like one minute <laughs> before me. And <laughs> because I like controlled myself, I got beat into the spot. Had I been my normal frantic paranoid self, I would have run up there and I would have beaten them. But I forced myself not to do that. And it was someone coming in. And I, they beat me in there. And my dad and I had it ruined our entire day. We had to walk all the way back out, like another half mile back to the boat, get in the boat. We couldn't find a good Like, it just completely screwed our all day. Like, whatever. Whatever. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So anyway, I got some sleep and it was a really cool environment being in there in a marsh and just kind of sitting on that chair 
with my dog, with the stars, shooting stars, the ducks flying. It, it was a cool environment. It really, really was. <clears throat> so my dad and Golden showed up at about 3.30-ish, 4 o'clock-ish, and we're all ready to go. They showed up. And we start setting up everything. Jeremy shows up, walks in. The four of us are all set up. And we really, I mean, I don't think we were within 253 yards of anyone else. And on the opener, that's awesome. So we felt really good. We locked down this little hole. No, it was ours. We felt really good about it. Um, and we were ready to roll. And so time came. Sun's coming up. And about five minutes before shooting time. If you haven't seen the video, you've got to go see the video on freelance duck hunting because it's incredible. And I voice over like my dad, my dad did a prayer for us before we started. And I, I overlaid that prayer over this whole thing I'm going to tell you about. And it's really, it's really pretty cool. The video is doing really well. Um, five, 10 minutes before shooting, about five minutes before shooting time, the teal. And I've never seen, I've been around a lot of fantastic teal hunts. <laughs> I've been around a lot of fantastic teal hunts where there's teal everywhere, but it's always like they're flying like that, like randomly buzzing all over the place. Like there's no pattern to it. But this morning the teal started flying from South to North and they weren't like migrating. They're probably 50 to anywhere from 10 yards off the ground to hundred yards off the ground. And they came in a line. I, I can't even tell you how many. A thousand, two thousand, three thousand. I don't know. It's beyond my capability to identify how many teal there were. But they started flowing like a river. Like just in not set flocks necessarily. Just masses of them. All going south to north. Just masses of them. I've never ever seen this many teal flying in that organized of a way just through the marsh and a ton of them, probably 500 to a thousand of them landed in our hole. And so you're just watching it. You're just watching them flood by watching them flood by. It was by far. And there was kind of a, a really nice, it wasn't sunrise yet, but clouds and, and light coming up from, cause we are facing to the East. I just have never seen teal a teal spectacle like that before. It was awe-inspiring. It was absolutely fantastic. And but in this hole, this hole is about 100 yards wide. All the teal that are coming in landing, they, they really want to be landing on the other side, on the the east side of the pool, and we were on the west side of the pool. But as as sun came up, um, people started shooting, and I have I, I have never heard this many shots in a half hour period of time. It was just constant shooting from this area. Just pop, 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 pop. I mean, crazy amounts of shooting. And they weren't decoying for us just fantastically. Um, like we probably decoyed for the number of ducks we were seeing that were flying by versus what actually came in, it was a small percent, but there were so many birds that it was still, we, we shot our limit by like seven <clears throat> 43. So I guess that'd be about an hour. And, um, we were shooting them right in the decoys. They were, there were so many coming in and then three to five would just filter off and, and come around and come right in. And everyone shot really, really well. We shot all blue wing teal. It was easy limit. I think I was six for eight 
or something. My dad shot his limit, which that's the first limit he shot in a couple of years. Um, I think he was like six for nine. It was just really easy shooting, really easy limit. So we shot our four man limit within about an hour and it was just fantastically fun. It w it was just a great hour of, of shooting. And one thing I've been taking a little bit of heat for on the video is the water swatting. And we get this every single year during teal season. We are not huge water swatters throughout the year, but we do water swat some during teal season. Um, if they land before we can get onto them, sometimes we water swat them. You know, so out of the um, 24 birds, we probably, there's probably six water swatted out of the 24, maybe seven. I don't know. But with teal, I've learned myself, I, I, I have no problem swatting one or two teal. I don't really want to swat more than two because it's just not as much fun. But my thing with teal is I've learned over my life is that if one lands on the water, I'm going to kill it a way higher percent of the time on the water than letting it flush. For some reason, I suck at shooting teal when they get off the water. And with that many birds, you know, I, we all could have been disciplined. Like, well, we're not water swatting. We got time. We'll get at them. You know, just don't shoot those, let them fly off or whatever. But, but we just don't mind it. We don't think it's a big deal, but apparently on YouTube, some people think it is a huge deal because Every year during teal season, when we do swat some, those those comments come up. And again, what I just don't understand is the is <clears throat> how it touches such a nerve with people. If you watch these videos, these teal, when you water swat a teal at 15 yards, it is immediately dead. It is the most ethical, cleanest kill that you can get. And I just don't understand the piss and vinegar that these guys have about it. So again, I, I will say this. As I did before when I've talked about water swatting, if you are adamantly against water swatting, I would love to have you on the podcast and we could have a nice cordial conversation about it. I would love to do that. So contact me, freelancestuckhunting at gmail.com or on Instagram, freelancestuckhunting and say, hey, I would love to come on the podcast and talk with you about water swatting. And I would love to have that conversation. I'm, I, I don't, I don't want to stop until I can get someone on here and talk to someone about it about why they feel so strongly about that issue. Because <clears throat> I, I, like, if I watch a video and someone's swatting or not swatting, it's like, I really, really doesn't affect me. I hunt how I want to hunt. That's how I'm going to hunt. And I don't know why people want to try to condemn me for not hunting exactly like them. I just find that peculiar. But anyway, it was a phenomenal hunt. It was, it was, a, it was a fantastic hunt. <clears throat> so... The rest of the day, I, I did a lot of sleeping that day, worked on the video that day. Um, the next day was just Aiden and my dad and myself. We went to the back to the same place, except we sat up on the other side. We sat, so we were facing west this time instead of east. And we saw 120th, 150th as many birds. One, I mean, like the number of birds we saw, it might have been even like one to every 100 less birds. It, it was crazy how many less birds that we saw, but <coughs> we, excuse me, we decoyed a way higher percentage of the birds. Like almost everything that came into that little pool wanted to decoy. And so Aiden and my dad and I, we ended up stopping at eight o'clock. Aiden and I had our limit and my dad had four out of his six. So it, um, if we had to stay another half hour or an hour, we probably could have got my dad his last two birds. But we chose not to do that. 
Um, my dad was fine with his four and needed to get to church. And so we called it and it, it was a, it was just a really, really satisfying, fun weekend. It really, really was. Um, one other thing I do want to talk about is there was a group of guys on the marsh, young guys, 19 to 24 ish from Texas. And on the first day, they gathered a huge gang of people. <clears throat> they had like a group of eight, group of nine, just completely group hunting. And apparently they shot like 102, 100 whatever birds in 30 minutes and they were posting it all over social media. But what they didn't post on social media is what happened after their hunt and what happened the next day, second day. These guys, the, there was two boats in the marsh with game wardens and dogs. And after these guys left, the wardens went up because they had been watching what they were doing, watching their hunting. <clears throat> they went over to the area where they were hunting and they let the dogs out and the dogs circled a, the area and immediately just found like three or four birds just laying around. And they could tell that these birds had um, the dogs that had had them in their hands and so these guys had shot over the limit because, I mean, if you're shooting a hundred and some birds in 30 minutes at that faster rate, obviously keeping track of how many birds you shot, who has shot what would be a really, really difficult task. And so they got, they got ticketed for, it's, they got ticketed for shooting too many birds, but you know, everyone makes some mistakes sometimes as far as. Oh man, I, 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 like a few years ago, I had an instance where on my last shot, I'd scotch doubled and ended up with one bird over my limit. And I actually called it in. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, it all has accidents, but when you're, when you're group hunting like that and it's just, at, you're not keeping in control of the hunt and you end up with like three or four birds over your limit and you're just pitching them out and some of them just laying out in the open and you're, you're going back. It's just kind of unexcusable, unexcusable behavior. Well, the next, the, so on Sunday, these guys were on the opposite side of the marsh from us. <clears throat> and these, I've, I've never heard a boat as loud and obnoxious as these guys boat. Apparently it's like a really, I don't know if it's 40, 45 horse. I'm not sure. But on top of that, they put on some kind of muffler kit, which gave it another 10 to 15 horse. I have never heard an engine this loud ever. Same kids, same groups. <clears throat> never heard an engine this loud. These guys came into the marsh. They went up the marsh and then halfway back and then back out to the marsh and then all the way back to the boat ramp and then back out to the marsh. And then when they got back out to the marsh, they're spinning. You just hear them grinding in the mud. This mo this, this motor was so loud. I could barely hear my dad, dad talk. And they're like half mile, three, four mile away, maybe even a mile away. I've never heard a motor at this loud before. And I bet you it was 25, 30 minutes. They were running the marsh and grinding in the mud and ferrying groups in and out. They went and got more guys, brought them out, dropped them off. They went out and got more guys, brought them and dropped them off. And I, apparently they had so many complaints about these guys. Um, just the disturbance that they were putting on the marsh. I bet you it actually helped our hunting because we we're on the other side of the marsh. I guarantee you any bird that was in that marsh was not in that marsh after those guys were done. I mean, just, it was just, I've never seen anything quite like that or heard anything quite like that before where guys come into a marsh with that big of a motor and spend 
And I'm when I say 25, 30 minutes, I am not lying. They were just grinding and, and running that pool in the dark all over the place forever, forever. I mean, if it was kind of, you know, a, a long tail that just kind of puttered along, but, you know, put on top of that, it's like jet engine they've got on that boat. I can't imagine how expensive that motor is. So it was a little disappointing to see people like that. I, I would say the low lives of the sport. Um, just group hunting to the point where they can't even figure out how many birds they're shooting and they're not over shooting over their limit by one. It's like by three or four, but kudos to the wardens for being out there for monitoring it, for finding, going out there with dogs and finding those birds and keeping those guys accountable because we all need to be kept accountable. All of us waterfowl hunters, we need to be kept accountable for what we're doing, especially people that are just blatantly flaunting the law and that's what i consider it to be when you're out there with a huge group like that 17 guys in all a group of eight group of nine they're real close together and you're just shooting so frantically that you can't even keep track of of your number of birds you deserve a ticket you deserve that's what you deserve a ticket you deserve to to deal with with the wardens so thank you for the uh, there are probably federal wardens, I'm guessing, but thank you to the federal wardens that that were want monitoring that, that talked to those guys. Hopefully, those guys will learn a lesson. And hey, these guys, they're young. I was told they're like 19 to 24. Let's face it, when you're 19 to 24 male, that's some of the dumbest. You do some of the dumbest things in your life from age 19 to 24. I did. If you're older than that, you did. We all know it. When you're a male and you're 19 to 24. That's the dumbest part of your life. It is. So hopefully these guys will mature. Hopefully they'll learn a lesson and make better decisions from this. Um, so I did want to share that. But what a fantastic weekend it was. My dad at 79 years old is off to a fire start for him. He's shooting well. He's, he's been able to get in there and get in there and out with us. We have to kind of help him walk through the marshes a little bit, help him put his waders on, but he's out there getting it done. And it's such an honor to have him out there. Cause it all started with me and my dad, 1991. In fact, same area, same area we hunted this weekend. We started it in 1991 hunting teal. And here we are this many years later, 32 years later, doing the same thing. Still out there, still going at it together. What an honor to still have him at my side and him being able to, out, be able to be out there and be shooting him and have my buddy Golden Boy with me and getting to know Jeremy. He was an awesome guy. It was just a really, really fun, successful weekend for sure. So I'm going to take a real quick break here. And then we will come back and we will do comment of the week. And we will also do... Woody's top five. The song I picked out today, I went back into like I listened to this this band when I was a senior in high school. It's the Steve Miller band. It's like a 70s rock band. And there's this song they've got, I've been listening to again lately called Serenade. And I just love this song. So check it out. Serenade by Steve Miller Band. I will be right back. Did you see the
All right, so thank you for waiting around and coming back with me. Um, I want to go over the comment of the week today, and then we have Woody's. Before that, I will say <clears throat> the North American Waterfowler app is officially ready. Now, you to find it, you still have to put it under Hunt Stats because the last little thing we have left to do is change the name and the icon on the App Store, but it is there. It's also um, the North American Waterfowler.com, the North American Waterfowler.com. And you can log all of your information from your hunts. And I'm telling you, if you have ever saw this before, this product before, like 12 months ago to now, you would have no idea it was the same, same thing. We have put so much money and effort into this to make it a better product. And it is a better product. It's really, really cool. It's really, really cool. So go and check that out. Either look for Hunt Stats or the North American Waterfowler in your app store or the North American Waterfowler.com and check it out and get signed up. You will not regret it. Now you can, you can upload images. You can track your dog retrieves. You can compete in leaderboards. You can just track each hunt, the weather on your hunt, how many shots you shot if you want to, how many birds you shot, and it spits out all of your data. There's a message boards over there, and we're going to be adding more stuff in the future. I promise you that. So go and check that out. So let's go ahead and jump into the comment of the week. It's time for comment. All right, so the comment or comments of the week come from the hunt video I just put out, day one Saturday. And there were was, there was so many of them with the same kind of message that I thought that I would just make this comment of the week. <coughs> so Lucas says, those two pups make one hell of a team. Nice work. George Hartman says, dude, that is a good job with Georgie. I like how you stopped her and sent her back to place. Tater Salad says, dude, that shallow water makes the dogs look amazing. Great dog work. Romeo Alpha Foxtrot says those labs are like black duck seeking missiles. Great work. BBS Life says great hunt. Love your labs drive. Matt's something says Georgie might be the my all-time favorite hunting dog. And Ryan says that's the fastest dog on earth. So lots of people commenting about the dog action on this video. And I can tell you. When I first started making videos, I watched my videos probably six, seven times within the first week. And that's kind of died down a little bit. It's like I'll edit the video. I'll put it up. I'll watch it maybe a time or two. And then I, I won't go back to it for quite some time. But this video from that first hunt, I have watched probably six, seven times already. And it's mainly because the dog work in this. So my dog, Georgie, I got from Flatliner Kennels, as you guys know. Flash's daughter. Flash is one of the most decorated, best hunt test hunting dogs in North America. When I say that, I'm not just saying it. it's the truth. <clears throat> this dog is known around the hunt test circuit. Anyone that does a lot of hunt testing and dabbles in the ground, that type of, you say Flash, they're going to know who this dog is. I'm telling you, this dog is a beast. And Aiden had his dog, Stella, and this is her second season, and she is an emerging budding young star herself. And she matches Georgie's enthusiasm. She matches Georgie's speed. And so I had the GoPro set up in an area like sideways view. So when we shot birds and sent them, I put a ton of like dogs just going hardcore charging for the retrieves. 
And especially the, the clips where the both dogs are going out. It, and that guy hit it right where he said, um, Romeo says those labs are like black duck seeking missiles. And I had been saying that to Aiden. It's like, man, they were just like missiles, like just shooting off everywhere. And Ryan says, that's the fastest dog on earth. These dogs, man, they are spectacular dogs. They're both steady. They're both good markers. I had to Georgie. I didn't get it on video, but man, she, I, I used um, one bird. She didn't know where it was. And I cast her. I mean, these dogs were just stole the show. I could not be more proud of my, of my little Georgie. And I know Aiden's feeling the same way of Stella. And I'm telling you, she's a budding star. So if you like dog work, check out my videos, check out Stella, check out Georgie, just bad ass little honey dogs. And I, I am so unbelievably proud of that, of that little dog. So anyway, that's comment of the week. I wanted to touch on that. Um, before we get into um, Woody's top five, don't forget, come join us over at Patreon, patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. <coughs> Hunt giveaways over, but we've got tons of cool content over there. And so come join that community. Patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. So let's go ahead and now and jump into Woody's top five. All right, boys, let's get this wrapped up so we can get back to hunting. It's Woody's Top 5 Countdown. Well, we got our buddy Woody here again today. I'll tell you, I get to talk to Woody twice a month, every other Thursday. It's two of my very favorite days of the entire month. How's it going there, bud? Hey, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I'm I'm uh, starting to get tired of this rain, though. We've had a lot of rain here recently, and I, I hate to say that this time of year because I know we need it, but I'm just ready for a nice, cool, sunny afternoon. No, we haven't seen That's anything cool for a while. It's oh, disgusting weather. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, tell you what, I've got a interesting top five, I think, tonight. That's the top five ways to get rid of a hunting partner. Top five ways to get rid of a hunting partner that uh, I think we've all at some point. Now, a lot of folks would think I'm talking about Lim Parsons, but I would never get get rid of my old buddy Lim. But there's been some others in the past, and I ain't going to name no names because occasionally one of them might listen to this, and I don't want them to get their feelings hurt. But there's been some fellas that I just, for whatever reason, I, I just didn't feel like going and sharing that time with them anymore. They, some fellas are kind of hard to, they, they just don't take a hint. If you know right. what I mean. Uh, yeah, I and, that. uh, and so they just, they just keep coming. They're like a bad penny. They just keep rolling back around. But, uh, I got five <laughs> ways here. I think maybe we'll, uh, help you get rid of them. Oh, I can't, this is good. I can't wait. You know, that's one thing. I've talked about before is um, you've got to be really careful when you hunt with people because it's kind of like dating. It can become the hunts can kind of start becoming implied on the weekends. Like, you know, yeah. if you're dating a girl, get serious enough. You just assume that you're going to go on a date. Friday Where are we going this weekend? Right. Well, yeah. a hunting group can mm -hmm. be the same way. Yes, and sir. so, you know, you've got to be very careful how much that you hunt with someone. So if you don't want them, like if you don't want them to be in that, you know, assumed hunting category especially if you're the one doing all the scouting and all the preparation and everything and they're right. just the one coming along doing the shooting 
Right. Well, right. for me, it's about keeping groups small. You know, you don't yeah, want four or five guys with you all the time. Yeah, I understand. Because then they always want to bring somebody else. I got, can I bring my cousin with me? And right. Yeah, you get into a lot of, a lot of, a lot of sticky mud there. All right, number five, number five of the top five ways to get rid of a hunting partner, and that's just to ghost him. Just ghost him. <laughs> just, just to completely ditch him. Yeah, just don't answer no more. <laughs> and that now, see, there's a problem there because we had one old boy that me and Lim would kind of kind of detra- decided to part ways with him, and uh, because, like you said, he knew all of our hunting spots, and he he had kind of patterned. I honestly, I kind of think maybe he had some stalker tendencies to him, because he <laughs> he he knew how to find us. No matter how good we hit, it got to the point where we would go and leave a vehicle at one parking lot and then drive 20 miles the other direction to, to hunt just to try to keep him off his game and keep him from finding us. But you go someone, just don't answer the phone calls and, and be as, uh, be as, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for there? Just be as, as, well, shoot. Can't think of the word. I lost my train of thought here. So let me ask you a question. When you go someone, is it, I don't know if I should tell this or not. So when I was in high school and I was dating, if I decided that um, sometimes I'd get in a situation where I would let things get a little too serious with a girl. And, uh, and I would realize that she felt it was more serious than I did. And, and all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I got to get out of this. And I'd put her on like a two week plan. I didn't, I didn't want to ease it out. Right. I didn't just want to go cold Turkey and be like, I'm done with you. And I tell my friends, oh, yeah, I got this girl on a two-week plan. Uh, you know, I just need a little bit of time. So when you ghost someone, do you cold turkey ghost them or do you oh, – it's, it's it a slow a, process? Yeah, it's a butterball in the freezer. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I ain't going to slowly work them off because them, them kind of fellas, if they can't take a clue, it don't matter if you give them a month or a week or a year, they ain't going to pick up on it. So you just got <laughs> to just just cut, cut, it, cut it right off like a piece of salami. All right. Okay. Anyway, uh, number four, become more annoying than he is. <laughs> You're probably good at that one. <laughs> I can, boy, I can, I can make somebody pretty miserable. That's for sure. Um, there's a lot of ways you can do that. You know, start showing up late. Just show up late all mm-hmm. the time or, or tell them you're going to be there and then don't show up or, or <laughs> whatever it is, you know, yeah. just whatever they don't like. Do it 10 times as much. All right. Number <laughs> three. Goes for you. <laughs> yeah. If you're lucky. Number three, throw the fight. And this kind of goes along with the, the being more annoying, but just start doing things as bad as you can. Like just, and it's going, it may cost you a couple of good hunts, but if it's sky busting, then just start sky busting away. Now, I ain't saying I'm not advocating damaging a, a bird or, or crippling one or something, but, you know, pop off a few shots way too earlier. Mm-hmm. Start claiming the birds that somebody else shot or whatever yeah, yeah. it is, but just totally screw things up. Heck, if it, if you have to, now this is pretty, it's pretty harsh, but I know why this, this is not me. Now I, I got to say, I did not do this one, but, I knew one feller, he's trying to get rid of one of his hunting buddies, and he knew the guy did not like cold water. (laughs) 
So he waited till it got good and cold one morning. They went out in the boat. And Elliot, I'm not lying to you. He made sure he left all of his important stuff back in the truck. When they got out in the middle of the swamp, he turned the boat over on purpose. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> Sunk the boat out in the middle of the swamp. And that old boy, <laughs> that old boy was so, uh, so mad at him and nearly died of hypothermia in the process. <laughs> well, he never did call him back to go hunting again. So <laughs> if you got to throw the fight, throw the fight, I suppose. All right. Number two. This one's I've known a couple of fellers that have done this. That's divorce the boy's sister. <laughs> if it happens to be your brother-in-law. Just to get now, him out of your hunting group. Now I would never do that. Uh, now Miss Larnetta don't have she don't have any brothers, so I don't have to worry about it. But uh they spent a couple of times when uh well in one in one case in particular, I took my father-in-law duck hunting. Miss Larnette had been after me to take him duck hunting. Oh, every time a bunch of ducks would come in, he'd stick his head up or stick his gun barrel out of the blind or whatever. Mm -hmm. He screwed up every bunch of ducks that come in there. After about 30 minutes of it, I I said, Bobby Dean, brother, I, I love having you out here, but you're going to have to, you're screwing up every bunch of ducks that come in, comes in here. And this is too important to me. I, I can't, I can't let you do it. And he, he looked at me kind of disgusted like he said, well, we'll see what my daughter has to say about that. Uh-oh. Mm. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I bet you she'd say, I bet I, I can almost guarantee you she'd tell you the same thing that she tells me on a daily basis. And that is to sit down and shut up <laughs> and let somebody else tell you what to do. <laughs> He said, all right, I reckon you're probably right. So he sat there and did what he's supposed to do the rest of the day, and we actually killed us a few ducks. Whoo, me. Anyway, if it comes to divorce or breaking up or whatever, sometimes you just got to pick your priorities. And right. Got your losses. Duck hunting's pretty important, you know? Yeah. All right. It may be a double win. I don't know. <laughs> Number one. Listen, now this ain't based on nothing specific here. I'm just, just saying. Number one way to get rid of a hunting partner is to make him do insane physical challenges, like building a raft to float down the Missouri River. Or <laughs> yeah, that worked. Drinking fetid, drinking fetid swamp water through a survival straw. <laughs> Anyhow, I just shouldn't. <sighs> I shouldn't poke it, poke at the hornet's nest like that. But. I wonder how many people are getting those. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's your top five ways to get rid of a hunting partner. Right. Those are good. Those are definitely good. <laughs> I think the ghosting one is the hardest. It feels bad to ghost people. Oh, I know. Well... I appreciate you coming on here and giving us another top five. It's uh, been a pleasure as always. I'm going to think about those and, and figure out which one that I should use the next time I'm in that situation. I actually have used one of those. I, <laughs> I I'm not going to go into the details, but you tried so to anyway, drown. You tried to drown old fumble Mitch in the boat well, that time. Sinking it. 
I did. I did. Well, you know, that that was part part my fault and part his fault. I, if I were to percentage it out, I don't know. So, you let, the, so the quick details of this. We swamped our boat in a, in a fairly shallow river. We flipped it in the dark. I was supposed to have the flashlight because we didn't. Our, our lights weren't working, and I was supposed to be guiding us up this river with submerged trees in it. And right as we left the the boat ramp, I I thought, oh man, I left a pair of waders right on the nose of the boat, and I thought I'll just run up there and get them real quick, no big deal. So I stopped using the flashlight to look for logs and to guide us, and so I grabbed the waders and I got back, and then I put up the flashlight. And we're heading straight for a log that stood about three feet out of the water. And I started hollering to fumble. Let's go left, go left. And he froze like deer in the headlights and ran right up that tree. The nose of it ran right up the tree stump. And so the back of the boat submerged and 30 minutes later, that thing was flipped and, and sinking. So part my fault, part his fault. Cause I clearly said, go left three times. <laughs> he did not. In fact, I think he might even have sped up a little bit. <laughs> It wasn't horribly cold. I think it was uh, like fifty-five. That it was. It was. It was like um, right around the end of October, beginning of yeah. November. But yeah. that was, a, you know. And the funny thing about that is, old Golden Boy was in the marsh hunting that day, and uh, by the time he was done hunting, the rumors had circled the marsh that some idiots were over there in the river that had sunk their boat. And the two <laughs> weeks later is when we met. <laughs> I remember so, him talking about that our reputation had preceded us before we actually met. <laughs> <laughs> we were the idiots. <laughs> well, anyway, thanks for All coming right. around Woody. And I will see you again in two weeks and for some Not more ready. content. So as I'll always, be here with bells on. I'll be here with bells on. You have listened to another episode of Woody's top five. Well, there you go, guys. I hope that you enjoyed this episode today. Contact me if you need anything. Don't forget the partners. FABrand.com, that's FDH10, the product code. Ducklander Calls, that's NAW23, product code, and downloading on X. So until next time, you have listened to another episode of the North American Waterfowler. Did you see the lights as they fell?